I want you guys to know I'm really thankful that we can be together today. I'm glad that you came and that we can kind of kick off the fall together here at Cedar Home. As a church family, our, our goal here at Cedar Home, our purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ through worshiping God together and through connecting authentically with one another and through seeking to serve one another and our community just as Jesus has served us and to seek to multiply, to make more disciples who do the same thing. And as we do that, as we kick off this fall season here at Cedar Home and in our own homes and in our schools and our community and um, and at our jobs, my prayer for us is that all of us would be filled with great expectations of what God can do in our lives and what God will do in our lives this fall. We, see, we serve a really big God, a really powerful God who is for us and who wants to work powerfully in our lives, in your life. So let's not treat God like he's small. Let's not treat God like he is weak and indifferent to our needs and to our dreams because he's not. Instead, man, let's, let's come to God boldly. Let's come to him today and this fall and let's ask him together to do great things, to do new things in our midst and in our lives for the glory of his name. We're gonna look at a passage today that's gonna fuel our excitement to see God work in this church and in our community and in our lives because what we'll see is that it is actually God's desire to do great things in and through us. So if you've got your Bible with you, open up to John 14. We'll be in verses 12 to 14 today. John 14, verses 12 to 14. In this passage, Jesus is eating his, his last supper, his final meal with his disciples in a small upper room in Jerusalem. And within 24 hours, Jesus would be arrested and he would be brought to court and tried by a number of judges and he would be flogged by Roman soldiers he would be condemned to death by crucifixion, and then he would carry his own cross to Golgotha where he would be hung upon it and die, and then he would be buried in a tomb. And one of the fascinating things we see when we read the Gospels is that even though this happened to Jesus, he endured this, we read, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was actually allowing it to happen to him. He allowed it to happen to him so that he could be our savior. He allowed himself to be murdered for us so that he would become our sins on the cross that separate us from God, and then he would kill our sins on the cross through his own sacrificial death on our behalf. Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. And he did this by leaving heaven where he was, and by taking on human flesh and, and coming to earth to live a sinless life that nobody has ever lived or will ever live and that could ever live except God. And then on the cross, he took on our sin and he died for that sin on the cross. He removed the barrier of sin that was separating us from fruitfulness and flourish, flourishing with God and then he rose from the dead three days later. 
He rose to show that this is true, that he really is God. He didn't just say it, that he really does have power over sin. He really does have power over death. And he said that everyone who trusts in him for this same salvation will likewise be victorious over sin and death forever. And then Jesus says, also, he's going to do incredible things through you, through his followers, through his church. And that's what we should expect, and that is what we should pray for, he says. And so we're going to read that. Before we do, let's ask him to help us with this passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and we just ask you to work powerfully today. And we thank you for giving us this scripture in our language. And we pray that you would use it to transform our minds and our lives into your likeness. And please, as we read this word, magnify yourself to us. Make yourself look to us more like you actually are. So that we can see how awesome and loving and holy and powerful you truly are. As we read this word, please... Uh, Teach us, Holy Spirit, please bring our wills and our desires into alignment with your will and your desires. As we do this, we know that we have enemies, obstacles that don't want us to get anything out of this scripture today. So we pray that you would protect us from Satan and his demons Protect us from the barriers in our flesh that might hinder us from hearing you now. Please do the same thing for the teenagers or the the kids over uh, next door and the kids in the nursery. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading John 14, 12 to 17. Give us a little context. And then we'll focus on verses 12 to 14. So Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus begins by telling the disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he begins this sentence with this word, truly. And he says it twice, truly, truly, which essentially means listen closely because I promise I'm telling you the truth. Remember in verse six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so Jesus wants you to know as we read this, he wants me to know that he is ultimate truth. He is the definition of truth. Everything he says is true. And we should believe that he's telling the truth even when he tells us things that sound too good to be true. He says, listen closely, I promise I'm telling you the truth. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So Jesus says that somebody is going to do 
something. Who is the somebody? Whoever believes in me. It's not merely the 11 disciples in the room. The somebody is whoever believes in him. Whoever believes that Jesus is God's son and whoever believes everything that Jesus has been teaching us in John 14, that God the Father dwells bodily in him. And so that means that if you believe that Jesus is God's son, if you've trusted in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection to rescue you from this brokenness that separates you from God, then you are who Jesus is talking about here. It's pretty incredible. And he says that you will do the works that Jesus does. You will do Jesus' works. Okay, now, that obviously doesn't mean that you will do the work of saving yourself, okay, on the cross and through the resurrection, because that's something only God could do. But Jesus says you will do his works, and we as a church together will do his works together. So, kind of begs the question, what are Jesus' works that we will do? Look, keep the context here, okay? In this context, Jesus is talking to the disciples about the works they will do as they advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And since those who trust in Jesus are also his disciples, then the works that God does through us will also serve to advance God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. Now, works doesn't just mean miracles, Works might include miracles from time to time, but they'll also include what we might consider less impressive acts of simply obeying God every day. Like learning to worship the Lord and obey him with our hearts and our souls and our minds. It includes learning to pray. That's hard to pray. Have you noticed that? (laughs) It's not an easy thing. Learning to pray for ourselves, and also actually learning to pray for other people besides us. It includes serving other people, sacrificing for other people, loving other people inside the church and outside the church. It includes preaching the good news of Jesus, telling the good news of Jesus to those who have never heard it, and to those who probably heard it but have never understood it, and to those who have heard it and maybe understood it, but they need to hear it a thousand times more, and we're all in that category. Ultimately, advancing the kingdom of God through our works means to see the message and power of Jesus push back the darkness of sin in people's lives so that they can experience freedom from their sin and brokenness as they discover that Jesus is the most valuable treasure in all of the universe. That's what it means to do works that advance the kingdom of God. And the more that God's kingdom advances, the more that we take joy in this God that we were created to know, the more that we are blessed and receive joy, and at the same time, the more God is glorified by our enjoyment of him. And then Jesus says, he says this astonishing thing in the middle of verse 12. He says, and greater works than these will he do. Jesus says that whoever believes in him will not only do his works, but also they will actually do greater works than the works that he did during his life on earth. So what in the world does that mean? That we, you and I, will do greater works than he did. Well, it doesn't mean 
that we will necessarily do more impressive miracles than Jesus did. I mean, think about the book of Acts, which comes right after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the, 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 it's the account of what happened as the church first began. The book of Acts reports dozens of miracles that the apostles did, amazing miracles. But even their miracles were not as impressive as Jesus' miracles, right? Like feeding 5,000 men plus their wives and kids in the middle of nowhere using five loaves of bread and two fish. Or how about when his friend Lazarus was dead and he heard that his friend was dead and his, the family came and told him he was dead. And he said, well, let's just wait. And they're like, okay. He shows up four days later after he's been in the ground and his physical body has started to decay. And he yells at his friend Lazarus to get up from the tomb. And Lazarus stands up and walks out of the tomb with his burial linen still on like a mummy. Okay. That's an impressive miracle. <laughs> and it's a sign that Jesus is who he says he is. And so when Jesus says that we will do greater works than his, he doesn't necessarily mean we'll do more impressive miracles than he did. Here in, I want you to see this. Here in verse 12, Jesus says that we'll do greater works than him. And then he gives a reason. Because why? What does it say? Because I am going to the Father. Okay. So there's a connection between the greatness of the works we'll do and Jesus going to God the Father in heaven. If you think about it, the disciples really didn't do that many. They did some impressive things while Jesus was with them, but not that many things. It wasn't until Jesus went back to heaven that God worked really powerfully in and through them to advance the kingdom. It's because Jesus returned to God the Father that the kingdom advancing works of Christians are greater than Jesus' works that he did during his earthly ministry. And they're greater in three ways. Okay? They're greater in their gospel-centered clarity. And they're greater in their unprecedented power. And they're greater in their broader scope. Okay? Let's take each one of those one at a time. First, the kingdom advancing works of Christians are greater than Jesus' works in their gospel-centered clarity. Okay. Now that Jesus has returned to the Father, we understand that Jesus' cross and resurrection are at the center of everything we do and everything we believe. The, the kingdom advancing works that we do happen historically after the resurrection rather than before the resurrection. See, the, the, the works that we do are after Jesus has been seated again in heaven where he is right now, not before that happened. And since we're leave, living after Jesus has secured salvation for his church through his death and resurrection, then now we are able to clearly see what he did to save us. And I think sometimes we take that for granted because before Jesus went to the cross, the disciples didn't see it very clearly. They didn't see how Jesus could die for the sins of the world. They didn't see how, how could he rise from the dead. What does this mean? He's gonna go back to the Father. He's gonna sit in heaven. What does this mean? But we live in a time in history when the New Testament has been written. They didn't. <laughs> we live in a time in history when the gospel's been more clearly explained and, and we've seen how the gospel has advanced 
throughout 2,000 years of church history. And so, as Christians in 2016, we're able to pinpoint the death and resurrection of Jesus as the central event that explains our kingdom advancing works that God does through us. Our our works are done with a gospel-centered clarity that points to Jesus, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, as the action that God took to save us from sin and from the punishment of sin, which is separation from God now and forever in hell. And Jesus says we can receive the salvation of that if we trust in Jesus to do it and that he did it, if we trust in him. So the kingdom advancing works of Christians are first greater in the sense that they have gospel-centered clarity. The kingdom advancing works of Christians are greater than Jesus' works also in their unprecedented power. We're certainly not more powerful than God. We're not more powerful than Jesus. But our works are greater in the sense that because Jesus is now in heaven, God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to work more powerfully through his church than he had ever done before. After Jesus ascended to heaven, God the Holy Spirit, we read this in Acts, came upon all of Jesus' followers and filled them and empowered them for ministry in an unprecedented way. And that's what happens to you and I when God regenerates us. He makes us new creations. He enters into our heart. And after Jesus defeated sin and Satan on the cross, the Holy Spirit took Jesus' victory, took the power of his victory over sin and death, and he infused the church with this newly obtained power. We see this really clearly in Acts in the way that the Holy Spirit recreates hearts and massive crowds of people respond positively to the gospel in faith. And the kingdom of God grows in Acts in ways that it was not growing when Jesus was still on earth. If you remember, a lot of times, you'll read this line, and many left Jesus. (laughs) This is a difficult teaching, they say. Many abandoned Jesus. But after the Holy Spirit came, God worked in a powerful new way. So whether we're talking about the, the kingdom advancing works that we see the apostles do, or whether we're talking about the works that Jesus does in and through us, The only reason any of these works exist is because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and working powerfully in our lives in a way that the Holy Spirit wasn't working before Jesus went to the Father. So the kingdom advancing works of Christians are greater than Jesus' works in their unprecedented spirit-filled power. And then third, uh, the kingdom advancing works of Christians are greater than Jesus' works in their broader scope than Jesus' works. From the, from the moment that the Holy Spirit filled those apostles at Pentecost and, and they miraculously spoke the gospel in the native tongues of all the different people in their presence, it was clear that God was moving in a new way to reach all the peoples of the world. Now, During Jesus' earthly life, where where did he live physically? Well, he stayed mainly between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem in the south, and he spent some time down in Egypt, but mostly he was in that area. And uh, 
Now, though, since he's seated on the throne in heaven, King Jesus is advancing his kingdom through us, through the church, to reach people from every group that exists on planet Earth. There are masses of people currently being saved, trusting in Jesus in predominantly Muslim countries and predominantly Buddhist countries and predominantly Hindu countries and other places where Jesus never physically stepped foot. But from his royal throne in heaven, he's, he's advancing his kingdom through his church to places he never went physically. And this fall at Cedar Home, man, we're gonna have some really cool opportunities to hear from Christians living on other continents about how God is working there and how we can partner with them to be part of what they're doing. Uh, next Sunday, my friends Michalisi and Erica will be here from Swaziland, Africa, and, and they're gonna hang out after the service just for about 30 minutes and tell us about their ministry. But we just wanna encourage them in their work and find out what can we do to help you in your ministry to orphans. And then on October 23rd, uh, my friend Eric Johansson and his wife, they're gonna be visiting from Thailand. And uh, they're gonna share during the Sunday school hour about how they're training young Christians and pastors from Thailand and from other places in Asia where it's illegal to be a Christian. And then on November 13th, our, our friends from Arlington, Danny and Don Wiebe are gonna share during Sunday school about their ministry in Chad, Africa, where they are reaching Muslims with the gospel by teaching them English by using the Bible. <laughs> All three of these couples, are, they're coming here. They're coming to our turf. And man, I just really want you, Mike, I really want you to join us for that. Our, our world needs to be expanded in our minds. We need to understand how big this place is that we live on. And we want to learn from these people and encourage these sweet faithful families who are sacrificing a lot to advance the kingdom in places it's never gone before or hasn't gone faithfully before. So whether we're doing kingdom advancing works in Swaziland or Thailand or Chad or here in Stanwood, Jesus is working through us to reach a greater scope of people than he reached during his life on earth. So let me summarize that. The kingdom advancing works of Christians are greater than Jesus' works in their gospel-centered clarity and in their unprecedented power and in their broader scope. Thank God for eight good commentaries I read that helped me with that. <laughs> There's a lot of different opinions on that. Now let's look at John 14, 13 to 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, here we go. Back-to-back -to -back tough verses. This is one of those verses you can't take out of context. You cannot separate verses 13 and 14 from verse 12. Jesus is not guaranteeing us health, wealth, or a new Lamborghini here. Okay. He's not saying, I am now your personal genie, and if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it for you. We know that's true. Probably a lot of us have tried it. Um, but here, Jesus is inviting us 
to do this. He's inviting us to ask him to do works that will advance the gospel in our lives and to the ends of the earth. He's inviting us to be part of this kingdom advancing work. So he wants us to see that our prayers are often directly connected to the works that he does in our lives. It doesn't have to be, but that's how God set this reality up, that our prayers are linked to the way that God works in our lives often. And when we read a passage like this, it's important at the same time to remember verses like 1 John 5.14, the same John who wrote this gospel. And he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So Jesus, his promise to do anything that we ask him to do, it assumes that we're submitting ourselves to his will and to his wisdom. He, d- he doesn't say in verses 13 to 14, get this, whatever you ask, this I will do. That's not even what he says. He doesn't say, if you ask me anything, I'll do it. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what's this in my name business? Is this kind of a magic formula that we tack on at the end of our prayers? And if we just say this name, then we'll get whatever we want? No. When Jesus tells us to pray in his name, he means that as we talk to him, as we pray, we should seek to desire what he desires. We should submit ourselves to God in his sovereign wisdom when we approach him. We should seek to see him glorified. We sh- is our desire here to see God glorified through our prayers and through the way that he responds to our prayers? We, we should remember when we pray in Jesus' name that he is powerful. He is the only mediator we have who infuses our prayers and our works with his sin-defeating power, with his death-defeating power, with his barrier-defeating power. To pray in Jesus' name isn't a magical spell. It's an act of submission to the sovereign will and wisdom of God. When you step back again and look at this larger context here, you'll remember that Jesus doesn't even say that we'll pray to God that he would do the works that we just think up. He doesn't say, you're going to do your works. Specifically, he says, you're going to do my works. That's why in verse 12, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So as we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying that God the Father would do in our lives the same works that he did in Jesus' life to advance the kingdom. And these kingdom advancing works, it says in verse 12, will be done by people who believe and trust in Jesus. They will be done by, uh, because we pray to Jesus and ask in his name and submit to his will. So verses 13 and 14 say, And these works will be done in alignment with God's commandments, which we see in verse 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So when Jesus tells us to pray to him, he encourages us to come to him and talk to him. When he tells us to ask him to do great things, he's assuming here that we love him and that we want to do what is in alignment with his commandments in scripture and that we want to see his kingdom grow Not our kingdom grow. We want to see his kingdom grow. 
If we're asking God to do things that contradict the commitments he's already made and the commandments he's already made in scripture, then he's not gonna do them. God doesn't contradict himself. Or if we ask God to do things that he knows are not ultimately right for us, he's not gonna do them. And as we pray, if we're not consciously submitting to God and if we're not primarily concerned that God is glorified, whatever the outcome, then we may very likely be crushed without hope by however uh, our prayers result. This week, somebody told me that a Christian told them that God wasn't healing them physically because their faith in God was not strong enough. God wasn't answering their prayers for physical healing because they were not believing hard enough. Guys, that's ridiculous and hurtful. Verses get taken out of context again. Yeah, Jesus tells us to believe him. He tells us not to doubt him. But he doesn't say this. He doesn't say that he will not give us any help until our faith is perfect. That, think about this. That would contradict the entire message of the gospel. That Jesus came to us and died for us and made us born again when we didn't want him at all. It wasn't that our faith was imperfect before we believed. Our faith in Jesus was non-existent. It didn't exist. We didn't want God at all. But God in his grace and his compassion still intervened in our lives when we were running the other way and he gave us new spiritual life and he gave us hearts that now miraculously want him. And so thankfully, the kingdom advancing works that God does in our lives and all of the prayers that he graciously answers in our lives are not because we are astoundingly holy and perfect, but because Jesus is astoundingly holy and perfect and faithful to his word. That's the truth. And, and in his grace, through faith, through our faith in him, he has imputed his holy standing to us through his death and resurrection. It's a hard reality to understand because we're not perfectly holy in this life, but in a way we are. Because in the sight of God, we are hidden in the righteousness of Jesus. So we don't approach God and remind him how good we've been so he should answer our prayers. And we don't approach God and try to bargain with him and promise if you just answer this, I promise I'll do this for you. I've prayed that prayer before. Man, it's not how you approach God. It's a very small view of God's holiness when you do that. Instead, we humble ourselves and we acknowledge this, that the only reason I can even say this God's name is because he is my mediator. We, we can approach him confidently. We can come to him boldly because he is the one who wants us to approach him. He's the one inviting us to come to him. Advancing the kingdom in and through our lives was his idea. It wasn't our idea. It was his idea. And so we can be sure of this. We can be sure that we're not twisting God's arm when we ask him to do his works in our lives that will advance his kingdom according to his will. J.I. Packer writes, when we pray, 
It is not for us to suppose that we twist God's arm or are any way managing the situation. We aren't. We should learn to think of our praying as less a means of getting from God what we want than as the means whereby God gives us the good things that he purposes to give, but that we're not always in a fit condition to receive. God intends all along to give these good things, but he waits to be asked so that we will properly value the gift when it comes and our hearts will be turned in gratitude and renewed trust to the one who gave. Jesus says in John 14, 13 that he's glad to answer our prayers so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Even though the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all equally God, Jesus always submits to the Father, seeks to see the Father glorified. And may we follow Jesus in this way as we submit to the Father's will for our lives and we seek to see God glorified in our lives. And may we pray to that end. Now, if Jesus is gonna do great kingdom advancing works in and through our individual lives, and if he's gonna do great kingdom advancing works through our church, then what are the works that we should ask him to do? Because our prayers are linked to the works he does. Well, we ask Jesus to help us to live our lives in a way that treasures God and his will more than anything else. You ask Jesus to help you trust him more. Because I, 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 yeah, I can guarantee that none of you trust him the way you should, and neither do I. We ask God to help us enjoy him more, help us to think about him more, because that's where true life is. That's where our freedom is. It's with God. We uh, ask Jesus to help us worship him more with our thoughts and with our words and with our actions because that's where true joy is. We gotta take thoughts captive in our minds that don't worship God. And we have to make them serve the gospel. We flip them on their head with the truth of scripture. Ask Jesus to make you overflowing with his love. Man, the apostles, Paul talks about this a lot. I pray that you would be abounding in love. Pray that God would make us abounding in love so that you can love others well and sacrifice much for others, but it doesn't even feel like you're sacrificing much for others because you're so filled with the love of Christ and you're so full of amazement at how much God loves you. We ask Jesus to help us to forgive and to be reconciled to one another the same way that he's forgiven us and reconciled us to God the Father. And we ask him to help us treat others the same way that he's treated us. Ask Jesus to give you words and courage when you're, when you're talking with somebody and you kind of feel the Holy Spirit prompting you a little bit that you need, this person needs Jesus. <laughs> and you might be the very person that God's ordained to talk to them about Jesus. Ask for courage. God, please help me. Just... You know, I'm probably not going to preach the whole gospel. I'm probably not going to get it all right. Just, you know what? Just tell a person if the opportunity arises what Jesus means to you. It's about planting seeds. God is the one who saves. We plant seeds. 
we ask God to help us courageously approach people in a way that shows that what we treasure most, most is Jesus, not other people's opinion of us. Ask Jesus to give new spiritual life. Ask God to save people. I know we do, but that's good because that's in accordance with God's will. That's what God wants. He wants you to pray for people by name. He wants you to ask him to do bigger things than your mind has probably thought of. Because we want all people to know and love Jesus. Ask Jesus to use your talent, your specific wiredness that he has he's given you to make him famous and endured instead of you. That's why you're gifted. That's why you all have talents. It's a stewardship from God to make God look great, not to point other people to you. Ask God to help you serve in a way that says that God is your highest treasure, not my time, not my convenience level. God is my highest treasure. If you're a teenager or a young person in a sport this fall, let's just say soccer, you say, God, help me play soccer in a way that shows that soccer is actually not what I treasure most. If you're a parent on the sideline, say, you know what, God, help me parent my kid in this game in a way that says that their performance is not what I treasure most. Help us as, as athletes or students to, to work hard as working for the Lord, to love others, even on the other team, to encourage other people on your team. I guarantee you when you do that, people look at you and say, that kid's different. He's the only one who encouraged me. He's the only one who genuinely say, hey, good job after the game. He's not even on my team. That's how you shine the light of Christ and advance his kingdom in this world. Ask Jesus, this thing, ask Jesus to do miracles. He's not done doing miracles. Ask Jesus to do miracles so that more people might experience the power and salvation of Jesus in their lives. Ask Jesus to use you. You're not here by coincidence. Ask him to use you to encourage other people today. To point people towards Jesus. Ask him to show you people at your workplace, in your community group, in your small groups, whatever, in your life that you can invest in, that you can help, that you could take out to coffee and just say, you know what, this is what Jesus has done for me. I just want to, you know, be a friend for you, just if you ever need that. That's something all of us can do. Let's ask Jesus to, man, bind up sick people and lonely people and grieving people in our church and in our community. I was talking, I had several conversations this week about how broken our world is. And as a pastor, sometimes you have to give advice to people about this is the best way that I understand scripture says you should proceed in this situation. The problem is when things get so broken, so twisted, it's not always an easy answer. And a lot of us are living in that. We're living in really complex, broken situations and we need to ask God, Lord, would you heal this situation? We're not twisting God's arm when we ask great things of him in accordance to his will, when we ask him to do great things. So let's do that. As a church, man, this fall, let's just approach it differently than last fall. Let's, let's ask God to do huge gospel-advancing works in our lives and in our church. And let's ask him boldly. And let's ask him a lot. Let's ask him to do bigger things 
than normally we ask him to do. Let's ask him to work in a new way at Cedar Hill this fall because he's the one inviting us to do that. Let's ask him to give us a new outpouring of love and his Holy Spirit's power and his hope. Let's ask him to give us that for our families and for our marriages and for the singles and for our elderly people and for our teenagers and for our children and for our ministries and different things we're involved in in this community. We need to ask. Together as God's people, as we work to do his will in our lives, in this place, in this time, we are engaged in the greatest calling ever. So let's not allow our minds and our hearts to maintain a small view of God and what he can do. Let's have a huge view of God. Let's pray that he would do huge things in our lives for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've invited us to come to you and ask big things of you. We thank you that as we approach you, we know that you are more perfect than we are, you are more right than we are, you are more wise than we are, and so ultimately your will is best even when that's hard for us to swallow. Please help us, God, to trust you because we need that. And we ask that you would do great works in our lives so that we can see the darkness of sin pushed back in our lives, pushed back in our homes, pushed back in our community. That you would use our church to be this bright light that pushed back actively against the darkness, the spiritual darkness that surrounds us. Not because we are better than people, but because we have you in us and you are better than people. (laughs) You're awesome and we just thank you for your grace and compassion and that you invite us to ask big things of you according to your will. We pray for more of that in our lives. Help us to love one another as we do that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.